This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. We are at a critical moment when it comes to climate change. The Earth's temperature has already risen 1.1 degrees Celsius, and the effects of that warming are already causing devastation around the world, most noticeable in the continued incidence of extreme weather. Even just looking back at last summer, you couldn't avoid news of hurricanes, fires, and floods. We begin in Kenya, where climate scientists say global warming is behind a looming humanitarian crisis. The western German states of Rhineland, Palatinate, and North Rhine-Westphalia have experienced their deadliest floods in living memory. Nearly one half of the country, from the Pacific coast to the Great Plains and the upper Midwest, is experiencing moderate to exceptional drought conditions. Let me just state unequivocally, guys, it's really bad. Gigantic infernos burning across Siberia on an unprecedented scale, a climate catastrophe. And, and I would be the last house, and I don't know how it jumped. They're telling me that you can see the clear path all the way to Highway 131, but it took my whole neighborhood, is what it did. As bad as all that sounds, and it is really bad, we're going to be looking at some ways that aim to fix those problems. As you already know, the climate crisis is pretty grim. I've been covering climate change news for years, and even I'm surprised by how horrific this stuff is. We're going to spend the first few minutes of this episode diving into just how bad it could get. But just bear with me because there is hope and we're going to find it amid all this impending doom and gloom. There are creative people coming up with some incredibly innovative ideas to take on this disaster. And that's what we're going to find out. I'm Talib Vizram and you are listening to World Changing Ideas, where we investigate how leading innovators are solving our most challenging issues. This season, we'll be looking exclusively at climate change and what's being done to try and save the world. Everything depends on how quickly we change course this coming decade and how we sustain that for decades to come. That includes businesses, governments, and the rest of society. The most ambitious goal in the Paris Climate Agreement to limit warming by the end of the century is 1.5 degrees Celsius. But if we can't meet the limit of 1.5 degrees, then we should aim for 1.6 degrees. If it's not 1.6, etc., cetera, uh, to do all that we can to limit that peak warming and hopefully uh, keep uh, the potential to reverse this process as soon as possible. That's Dr. Kim Cobb, a climate scientist at Georgia Tech. I spoke with her about what the future could look like and what we need to do to avoid the worst case scenario. So that's really what we need. And we don't need pledges, we need plans. <laughs> and there's a big difference to that. And we've seen quite a few pledges uh, coming out and uh, where we have pledges, we need plans. And where we have plans, we need action. And that is what we're up against right now. In a recent report, the United Nations warned that the plans countries have right now to reduce emissions could cause the Earth to warm up more than 2.7 degrees Celsius by 2100. Putting it plainly, that would be catastrophic. And that's only if countries actually succeed in meeting those pledges. Our future world depends so greatly on whether we meet our most ambitious goal of limiting warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, continuing on a current woefully insufficient course to possibly three degrees warming, or falling somewhere in the middle. 
This can all sound a little abstract. So I asked Dr. Cobb what those three different outcomes would actually look like in 2100. First, what does a best case scenario, 1.5 degree world look like? And so as we think about what lies in the future, when we're talking about whether we can meet the goal of limiting warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, it's important to recognize that we still have, you know, kind of 50% of the path that we've already walked to go yet in additional warming over the next couple decades and important decisions to make around whether we are going to accelerate that to two degrees Celsius, three degrees Celsius, and even potentially more over this century. More than a billion people could be exposed to severe heat waves at least once every five years. Coral reefs are likely to decline by 70 to 90%. And around 4% of the land area on the planet will transform into different types of ecosystems. What if we do more than we are doing now, but still don't meet our goal? What does it look like if we warm two degrees? We're talking about um, wildfires and at record pace, hurricanes, record breaking every season. Uh, we have any number of, of catastrophic floods and droughts globally that uh, the new United Nations climate report now conclusively links to rising greenhouse gases and that associated warming of 1.1 degrees Celsius already baked in. Finally, I asked Dr. Cobb, what about the worst case scenario? What about a world at three degrees warming? We're talking about warming that is unprecedented in over 120,000 years. Ocean pH levels that are unprecedented in millions of years. We really have to bring into full context where we are right now, the new United Nations climate report, uh, helping us recognize just how unprecedented our current climate state is at one degree Celsius. As many as 250,000 properties along the coast will risk flooding. Crop yields could fall by as much as 50%. And in some tropical countries, the combined level of heat and humidity may grow so high during heat waves that it surpasses the limit of what human bodies can survive. If this sounds bleak to you, that's because it is. Kim said 1.5 degrees Celsius is not quite good enough. And we should actually be aiming for net zero in order to stay under 1.5 Celsius for the long term. And so again, um, we have an amazingly difficult task this decade to reduce those emissions 50% and achieve net zero by 2050. We have choices to make to reduce those damages going forward. And of course, the, the ledger uh, tax on our economy is monumental. No matter what the issue is that you care about, whether it's national security, our national economy, climate injustice and inequity and equality, all of those things are tied up in climate change and will worsen unless we move quickly on a science-based path to reduce emissions and, and reduce harm and damages. So can we even aim for net zero? So we need to see uh, tangible near-term emissions reductions, keeping in mind that uh, those will be differentiated country to country. Those will be differentiated region to region and sector by sector across our economy. Uh, but they do have to add up. And there is an amazing set of low hanging fruit and win win strategies along this path, reducing our dependence on fossil fuels, delivering uh, cleaner air globally, which has a huge cost to our economy and, of course, the lives and livelihoods of, of people all around the world. So we have some near term benefits to reap uh, with this path, but we obviously have to get going. We've squandered so much time already. When we come back, 
I'll talk to Morgan Clendaniel, editor of Fast Company's Impact section, about the future of our world and what you'll hear on this show in the coming months. But first, a quick break. This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Well, that was a lot of information to take in. So with me now is Fast Company Senior Editor Morgan Clendaniel to help digest it. For a bit of background, in 2011, Morgan developed and launched Fast Company's Impact section, which focuses on world-changing ideas and innovations. Morgan oversees the annual World Changing Ideas Awards program for social good initiatives and social entrepreneurs, which this podcast is named after. Welcome to the show, Morgan. Thanks, Talib. Uh, it's good to be here. How's it going? It's going okay. A little horrified after all that. But that's why we're here to be a bit more hopeful and upbeat about what we can do, because there are real solutions out there. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was very horrifying. But I do think it's important to be horrified about it. I think we hear a lot of these numbers, and they can become a little numbing. And I thought she did a really amazing job focusing on what the numbers actually mean. Uh, and then I hope we can denumb it a little by talking about some of the good things that are happening. Uh, but first, maybe we should decompress a little from how bad that was. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the numbers. And I started out by asking her, you know, it's hard sometimes for us to visualize how, you know, half a degree or a degree Celsius in difference could bring us to such different outcomes. But she kind of painted a picture of uh, some very different scenarios. Um, you know, for example, at three degrees Celsius higher, um, you know, we're looking at catastrophic wildfires and, and floods and, and the rest of it. You know, what was your impression of, of this kind of description of these crazy, momentous catastrophes? Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's very visceral and very scary, right? And then I think it, it also, it just sort of brings home the, the, climate effects and sort of natural disasters we're already seeing. Uh, you know, I live in San Francisco and there are these wildfires every summer now. I don't know if you remember like last year, the sky was orange for a day in a, yeah. in a very horrifying way. Or, you know, there was a hurricane that flooded basement apartments in Queens, right? And, and you, you don't, as these things sort of happen individually, you maybe don't connect them to these numbers uh, as, as much as you should. But uh, when you hear sort of a portrait of what three degrees is going to look like. These are just, you know, little blips in how bad it could get. And yeah, no, th that's right. I, I remember seeing images of the orange sky. I think there was a picture of kind of a, a baseball stadium that was empty because of the coronavirus, but just with an orange sky. And then there were kind of, you know, Twitter images uh, of the floods in Queens and, and people still ordering Grubhub, by the way. Right, right. <laughs> so it's hard to imagine that things could get much worse, but, you know, clearly they can if, if we don't make a change from now. So maybe we should talk about, you know, some of the things that we can do. One of the things, Morgan, you talk about a lot in our impact work is that it's not up to just us or just the government or just businesses. It's all of the above. Yeah. I mean, I think the key phrase about fixing the climate is that everything is necessary but not sufficient, right? We missed the boat on doing one thing that works, uh, and now we have to do a lot of things. Uh, and so it's just sort of profoundly unhelpful if you uh, assume that you can 
just change businesses and, and have them fix it or just change your own behavior and have them fix it or just change government policy and, and have them fix it. Uh, it is everyone and everything. Uh, and I think she made that point really excellently when she was saying, you know, whatever you're interested in, there's still a place for you to make uh, a climate impact. Uh, and I think that's really important. We need to be pressuring governments, uh, but we also need to be supporting uh, innovation from businesses and we need to be supporting research and People do need to make uh, some changes in their lifestyle, like whether that's because uh, they want to, because they feel morally responsible or because, you know, they have to put solar panels on their house because the grid is broken because uh, a hurricane knocked it out. Right. There's a place for all of us in every sector uh, to be making a difference here. Yeah, you make a good point that sometimes it doesn't hit you until it, I mean, until it literally hits you. I mean, until you're involved in, in something like that in a natural disaster, for example. But for those of us who haven't thankfully been involved in, in such kind of calamities, what do you think is the best way for us to make sure we don't forget that this is constantly going on? I don't, you know, keep listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> nice plug. Next week, we'll remind you even more. <laughs> I think it's in the news so much that it's less reminding you that it's happening and more reminding you that that the key is reminding you that we can still fix it, right? Yeah. As numbing as the numbers are and as disheartening as some businesses and, and government's behavior about this is, the only way it's going to change is if everyone starts working on it together. And so like, that's the thing that I think you have to not let sort of slip from your mind. Yeah, she did mention a very important thing is to not to forget that even if this is kind of low on your political agenda, which <laughs> it should be high on all our political agendas, but you know, link it to the economy, link it to national security. Climate touches everything uh, in our lives these days. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's right. We can see the evidence that change is happening if it's happening at all at a rate that is too slow versus what the science says it needs to happen at. The only way that's going to accelerate is if the people who care about it, you know, exert some influence. Uh, and I think that certainly starts with voting, but you know, there are a lot of ways to exert influence on politicians beyond just voting and it exert it affects businesses and both, you know, what businesses you you purchase from, but also the politicians who regulate the businesses and and the shareholders who own the businesses, uh, and you know, all the way down to your community and the people you know. I was just doing a story actually recently on on the idea that climate change linguistically has now become climate crisis, climate catastrophe. It feels like we're headed in the wrong direction here. Yeah, I mean, we are definitely headed in the wrong direction, but I think what people need to know and I think like what we feel really strongly about at Fast Company and you know the stuff we cover all the time is that we are capable of changing that direction. People are working on this stuff. People are making amazing advances in everything from, you know, city transportation. You know, they're making plastics out of all these things that aren't oil. We just wrote about one that it's made out of seaweed and it can dissolve in, in water. They're creating, uh, you know, all sorts of new forms of alternative energy. So this stuff exists. Uh, a lot of it is in the early stage. It needs more uh, investment. It needs more uptake from bigger companies. But it's really exciting stuff, and it is sort of the key, along with uh, government policy, that that helps expand it to how we are going to uh, change these things. You know, we're not going to cut emissions just from everyone uh, going back and living in the woods, right? Uh, we have these lives that 
require a lot of energy and uh, we can only cut them so much. So we're going to need to replace the emissions driving stuff we use with new alternatives that, that don't have emissions and people are building them. Well, all this is kind of leading to a big announcement that we have uh, on this podcast. As you may have gathered, we're kind of changing things up a little bit on the show. Yeah, very excited to, to be here to talk about that. For the next uh, several months, this podcast is really going to focus on those world-changing ideas, the sort of cutting-edge climate tech uh, that is building this new clean economy. You're going to be talking to them. We're going to be talking uh, about it and sort of unpacking uh, where this sector goes uh, and uh, offering a little bit of hope about how we can turn around these rising temperatures. Yeah, and it's worth saying that after all of this, uh, Kim was was very hopeful, actually, that we can move in a positive direction. So while we may be living in a very hopeless time, it, it doesn't have to be. You know, since every facet of society has to change, that means there's space for a lot of new and unique ideas. We're not just going to be talking about the standard things you've heard about before, like carbon credits or solar farms, uh, though those things are great. We're going to be talking to people who have come up uh, with an alternative for plastic by taking microorganisms that eat methane and then turning that into a substance that mimics plastic, but is obviously a lot easier on the planet. And then we'll hear how one company is revolutionizing the petrochemical industry by taking sugars instead of fossil fuels and converting them into chemicals. It's stuff that every time a fast company writer writes a story about it, it gives me a little hope. It's a little antidote from hearing these numbers and these disaster scenarios about climate change, knowing people are working on these projects and these projects are growing and thinking of new solutions every day. And I'm really excited to tell more people about them on this podcast. Well, really excited uh, to start this new series. And as Morgan said, each week is going to bring different innovations, different world-changing ideas. And so we hope you'll tune in. Morgan, thank you so much for coming on the show. No, thanks for having me. I'm excited uh, to talk about what we look at next. That's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to World Changing Ideas wherever you listen. If you like this episode, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. World Changing Ideas is produced by Avery Miles and our editor is Nicholas Torres.